We had on one side, we had a rageaholic parent with very uneven parents. And on the other, we had one who was clinically depressed. And so the children of the clinically depressed parents basically just stops going there because they couldn't deal with the energy, the emotion. And the rageaholic kids just got very good at picking the right times to be with their parents. In the Blend is a podcast series that helps parents navigate life within a blended family. Join me as I speak with experts and guests to get practical advice on how to have a harmonious blended family life. This series dives deep into the unique dynamics, logistics and challenges of raising a blended family. From new partners to juggling mixed finances, we will help guide you through it. Hello and welcome to In The Blend. Well, we've got another emotionally charged subject for you this week as we talk all things teenagers and blended families. And if you are raising a teenager, you'll likely know that with this time in life often comes a whole load of new parenting challenges. And if you add blended families into the mix and potentially two different houses and sets of rules, things can get even more challenging. My guest today is Rich Heller a relationship fitness coach and mediator. He is also a trained parent coordinator, professional certified coach, and is no stranger to conflict, having been divorced and now remarried, as well as being a child of divorce himself. I had the pleasure of speaking on Rich's podcast recently and am very much looking forward to having the chance to interview him today as we cover some of the common challenges blended families face with kids in the teenage years, And importantly, how to ensure you don't forget about your own relationship as a couple in the process as well. Good morning, Rich, and welcome to In The Blend. Thank you, Laura, and good morning to you as well. It's so nice to chat with you again. Uh, I had the pleasure of of, uh, being on Rich's podcast a couple of months back now. And you were awesome. Oh, thank you, Rich. Thank you very much. (laughs) But it's so lovely now to flip the tables and ask you a few questions. Um, Rich, let's let's start off. We we actually haven't tackled teenagers on the show before. So first up, um, tell us about your family. You know, as a teenager, I used to flip a lot of tables. So when you say let's flip the table, I say, "Uh oh, <laughs> it's payback time." Um, and, and I had some teenagers who like to flip tables too. Uh, I have a well. Yeah, my wife and I are debating how many children we actually have. I, I, I say six. She says five, and that's because we have this sixth spiritual child who started out as our au pair and became <laughs> our child. You know, uh, and she came to us at a very young age. So I say six. As I'm, I'm sticking to my story. And they're, but they're all, our, our youngest is now 20, is 20. And so I have no more teenagers in my life and we are becoming functionally empty nesters. And so, uh, and we were also, we were a blended family. We, we came together with two each in our, in our, from our original marriages and uh, found out very quickly that it's a lot different raising four children than two. Uh, and then we had the nerve to go and have another one. And that's how we, that's how we got our, our sixth child, the au pair, who came in when she was like 19 to help with this child. And now, you know, uh, 19, she was 19 then, held it. she's 18 years later, you know, she's got her own child. And there's a whole backstory there as to how she became, how she and our 
spiritual granddaughter came to be a part of our family, which is a whole nother podcast. Oh, wow. Um, that is a whole nother podcast. She, she was a very mature 19, thank God, you know, uh, so we didn't have really have to go through teens with her. You know, she, she was very militant with, with our youngest child and, and our, our teens, um, did, did our children went through the whole thing? You know, we had, when we first got married, we had our, our oldest was 12. And so we got to go through teens with all of them. Wow. So with that experience you've had, Rich, what are some of the, the common challenges that came up over the years? Well, you know, um, there's, let's just kind of start with the, typical blended family challenges, which is, am I a friend, an enemy, a dad, an uncle, you know, what am I? Uh, And, uh, but always I am, it's always, it's my, it's my roof. And, you know, the added challenge to that is that your partner has had a more years with, I, I would say, for the most part, this is true, more years with their children than they've had with you. You know, so they've got more background experience and bond with their children in some ways than they do with you. So there's this kind of icky thing of figuring out what your role is. Um, And then there's the fact that if you cross the line, you know, your partner is as likely to land on their kid's side as yours because, you know, your relationship just hasn't, no matter how well-founded it is, when it comes to children, we're all very feral. (laughs) <laughs> that can be the case. Yeah. And Rich, with teenagers, did all were you uh, were you a blended family when all children were going through the teenage years? What at what point yeah. did you become a blended family? Yeah. So uh, the fir- the oldest was twelve, going on thirteen when we when we first got married, and so we he led off, um, and he was uh, uh, totally madly rebellious. I mean, insanely rebellious. This is a young man who three months before high school graduation decided to drop out of school. I'm like, what the hell? Why not? You know, and, and go get a GED, you know? Um, and so the, the good news about that was the bad news was that as parents, we were like, oh my God, how do we deal with this, this, you know, completely rebellious child? Uh, you know, who was also the town goth, who was also, you know, smoking all kinds of stuff and drinking all kinds of stuff. And there were incidences where I would, I, one where I found a, a naked girl in the downstairs closet one evening. I mean, it was just oh, like, my goodness. it was off the wall. But, but this was my, the good news was I found him and this was my son. So it was an easy, if my wife had found him, it might've been gone very differently. Um, but with him on the front end, the other kids uh, got, did not, push the envelope like he did. He did. They watched mm-hmm. what happened there and like, no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, 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 the bad news, good news was the oldest, you know, really pushed the envelope and the rest of them were like, no, there's better ways to live than that. You know? <laughs> and it felt easy in comparison. Oh God, so much. They were so much easier. And, you know, the challenges with my with my, I hate calling them my stepchildren. You know, um, they've been my children for, they are my children. They've been my children for so long. My, what did somebody call them? Maybe it was you. Somebody said bonus children. It wasn't me, but I, I wish it was. I'd love to claim that one. Yeah, that was a good, it's a good one, right? My bonus children. I love that <laughs> as well. Um, with my bonus children, it was kind of cool because when they were going through their rebellion, uh, you know, the great thing about being the, 
the bonus dad, I guess I'm going to call myself, is that there were times there where I didn't have to be the dad. You know, they, they're going yep. through their stuff and it's like, well, you know what? Not really. They, they don't want, they told me for years, I'm not their dad, so I don't need to be. And then uh, if they were having trouble with their dad, which was not unusual, they would mm -hmm. lean into me. They would lean into me as like uh, an, uh, a, a really close uncle or something. You know, and yes. I would have these really rare, super close moments with them where they would allow me to be their friend, you know, which as we were saying before we started recording, that could change in a second, you know, yes. it, it, you know once that need is met, it's all, okay, now I can throw you away. You can go back to being whatever you want. <laughs> You've got to be quite, uh, quite, uh, what's the word? You've got to have thick skin. Yeah, resilient. Yeah, well, That's resilient. the word I was looking yeah. for, Rich. So let's talk a little bit about discipline then. And I know I know we we've talked about this previously, uh, you and I, but the the discipline conversation is something that that is interesting when it comes to the topic of teenagers, and especially if they're not the the children are not biologically your own. Have there been occasions where some of your stepchildren? may have been pushing the the envelope a little bit and uh, how have you handled that yeah absolutely um well you know obviously my children push the envelope just a little bit so <laughs> why not my stepchildren and, uh, but what what we learned very early on because we went from two each to four each was that we need to run what we call here in the states a zone defense Right. So, you know, in basketball you can, or in football and you can play man on man and soccer. Actually, I think you can play man on man or you can play a zone. And when you're outnumbered four to two, there's no man on man. Like it just doesn't happen. So we went to a very a zone defense, which means we had very uh, clear boundaries regarding school, homework, eating, um, screen time uh friends all the way like we had really clear boundaries and so that just made us equal cops you know yes, so yes. It, it, like i didn't have to be a parent anymore it's just like well listen you know where the lines are Mo your mom said or she said your dad said you know because we were very much on the same page we, like we we knew this was like we weren't going to make it if we didn't if we didn't play this way you know uh and it, it's funny we we had relatives who with two kids who would say what kind of a you know gestapo just like stormtrooper camp like nazi <laughs> camp are you running here you know and we'd be like you just don't look you do not know what it's like to be outnumbered and you know <laughs> when our kids hit our their teens they behave very well when their kids hit their teens they were getting arrested for spray painting for smoking get smoking pot the difference is that our kids got mm -hmm. really good at getting away with things because <laughs> because they knew where the lines were and their kids had never seen any lines so they didn't know how to get away with things i mean i'd like to say our kids were very well behaved but i don't believe that for a second <laughs> and and that that's life isn't it i mean no you know no one is perfect but i i really like the idea rich of having clear boundaries i think in particular with teenagers that's super important can you give me an example of a of a boundary that you might have had in place oh it was crazy i like looking back on it laura i'm just like what were we thinking but we had we we had them all doing chores Right. And um, we had we couldn't have any of the blooded children doing chores together because they conspire. 
right? Like right. We, we had to split them up. Like we knew right away we needed, we had to break up the clicks. You know, that, that my wife is Miller. I'm a, I'm a Heller. We had to break up the Heller click and break up the Miller click. Like, cause other, cause they did enough. They, they conspired enough separately as it is. And plus we wanted to get some sense of them coming together. So we would make uh, chore teams. So we took the youngest child who was six and put her together with the oldest child who was 12. And he, you know, he would like be, it was great because it would be time to set the table and he would be like, he wouldn't show up. And she'd go up to his room and, ah, oh, Gabe, it's time to set the table. I'm not going to do it by myself, Gabe. You come right in. He couldn't say no to her. So they started to discipline each other. You know, and we yeah. had uh, we had rules around table setting, table clearing, um, cleaning. We they were allowed no screen time during the week. Uh, yep. They were except for homework, which they totally abused. You know, there were there were computers down in the basement, and there was no monitoring them. But we, it limited what they did. They were allowed. They they all went to bed at the same time. Period. Whether okay. you were six or 12, you went to bed at the same time. It was like, no, we are not doing any of that staggered bedtime stuff. You, know, yes. you are you are all right or wrong. That's how we did. Now, the truth is the six-year-old would fall asleep early and the 12-year-old would stay up later listening to, listening to tapes and stuff in bed in his room quietly. But um, it was very clear. Uh, yes. What are some other boundaries we had? We had that about cleaning up their rooms. They, their rooms needed to be clean at the end of each day. It would clean, not like immaculate, but, you know, they couldn't be clothes on the floor and stuff like that. You know, we would find closets full of clothes and, you know, stuff under the bed and all that stuff you typically find. They needed to make their beds. Um, mm. You know, there was just a lot of a lot of basic, look, this is how you live life. and you're And there's too many of us for us to do it for you. I love that idea of mixing up the the family unit and that example you gave of the dishes having someone from the Millers and Miller team and someone from the Hiller team joining forces I think is a really nice idea and uh, something I'm curious about is the communication aspect of some of the boundaries and it, it sounds like you did incredibly well with the you know the, the realm of boundaries that you that you had amongst the four kids and it was all very clear what are some of the ways that you're able to effectively communicate those boundaries and have those have those boundaries uh, accepted especially as they're coming into the teenage years where they might be a little bit more naturally rebellious yeah um we look this is all such cheesy stuff i'm going to tell you we had a chore chart and we gave them gold stars. I, I kid you not. And they didn't, I, honestly, I don't think they cared that much to go out the gold stars, but it did let us know that stuff was getting done. I, 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 well, the six-year-old cared about the gold stars. She was really deep. Into the, gold stars. <laughs> the rest of them, not so much, you know, and uh, we, at one point, well, when we, and then when we had our child together, um, we were at that point that we were like uh, 14, um, 11, 10, and eight were the ages of the other children. And we were like, we got to get some help here. With and a we, brought, we, we brought in an au pair, not the au pair, not the magic right. au pair, but we brought in an au pair. Um, and the au pair was totally bought into the chore chart. And she took over. 
right? It's like, so if you can get an outsider to come in and take over, that's even better. You know, then you are no longer, you're no longer the bad guy. But we were still the enforcers. You know, we were still the bad cops in the end. I mean, if they if if they weren't participating, she would come to us and we'd be like, oh, okay, Gabe. It was always Gabe. You need to come in and we need to talk to you. You know, and and I I think incentives is an interesting one as well, in particular with teenagers. And we've experimented with a reward chart at various times over the years as well. Has pocket money ever been something that you've used as an incentive to help in the teenage years? Um, you know, we didn't, we gave them, we just gave them money. Uh, we didn't want to connect uh, punishment and reward to that, to money in particular, because there were lessons we wanted to teach them about money, about mm -hmm. saving it, about uh, spending it. And we wanted them to have that experience. And we were concerned uh, that it would get overly competitive. Um, and it's interesting. I, I recently had someone on my podcast who was teaching me about, uh, what did she call it? Oh my God, I had just threw away the notes too. Um, it's all about parenting without without reward and punishment. Um, okay. It'll come to me, but uh, okay. I, I've ordered the book because I want to know more. But, uh, you know, it's this whole idea of, of just uh, talking, being very authoritarian with your children, I think is the one mm -hmm. where you explain to them why you want them to be a certain way and what the guidelines are and what the reasoning is behind it. And then when they cross the line, well, well, Laura, why did you cross that line? Well, what did you get out of it? What did you not get out of it? Here's, you know, what's the, what could be a benefit of doing it? And you stay very rational with them. Uh, and I think fortunately we operated a lot like that anyway, but mainly because there were, you know, there was too many of them for us to be punishing them all the time. Like we just, it, 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 you know, when we, like when kids are grounded, then they've all got different. You got to keep track of that mess, you know. That's a and whole job, a full time job in itself, yeah. keeping on top of that. And honestly, for the most part, they were very, they were very good. Uh, well, meaning they were good at not getting caught, is my belief. <laughs> so, I, I just, I thought we. We never found any evidence of drug use, but I'm certain there was. It's a freaking United States of America, and we lived in New York, which is like the epicenter of teen you know, drug use. And um, our town there was like had a reputation for kids, for teens drinking and smoking pot. And so I'm sure all that went on, um, but they were they were very careful about it. And I think they were careful about it because... It, they knew it was important to maintain. They knew that the balance of the family needed to be maintained. Uh, they had other parents who were not so great in their lives, you know, and they and they they wanted to maintain. They, they knew that even though they were in a step situation, it kicked the crap out of what was going on in those other households. Okay, and and to that point. I'm curious to know whether you had to have alignment with the other co-parents in the other households yeah, during the teenage think. years. You it's would easier think, said than done. We had no, we were parallel parenting with them. We, we established our household and our guidelines and our values and our metrics. And the assumption always was that they would figure out what, what was working in lives. We had on one side, we had a rageaholic parent who uh, was a very uneven parent. And on the other, we had one who was clinically depressed. 
And so the children of the clinically depressed parents basically just stops going there because they couldn't deal with the, the energy, the emotion. And the rageaholic kids just got very good at picking the right times to be with their parent. Did the schedule change over the years then with as the kids got older? Yeah, I mean, uh, they they got to stay up later. They got to stay out later. There were curfews. Uh, you know, that went from you're going to bed at 8.30 to you're going to bed at 9. To you're, you need to be home by 10, you know, is when you get into the final years. Um, and then even, I think, home by 11. And then here's the best part is by the time our youngest became a teenager and the rest of them were out in the world, we didn't have to run a zone defense anymore. And so she got privileges no one ever got. You know, she could, she, there was, she, I mean, she could stay out till one in the morning and they were, the other kids would be like, what? Like, what do you mean she gets to stay out? Till, at this point they're working, right? They're in college. They're working. What do you mean she gets to stay out till one in the morning? We never got to stay out till one in the morning. It's like, yeah, what's well, because we couldn't stay out for all four of you, but we could stay out for one. You know, like, you just need to understand that we needed to do things for us. It wasn't all for you. You know, there were boundaries we need. If you're waiting up for four kids, three kids, uh, four mm. kids. Four kids at one till one, even two kids, you know, till one in the morning. That's a lot as you're aging. But one child, once a week, no problem. <laughs> Walk in the park. Oh, yeah. definitely. And she so, got to, so, she got more screen time than they ever did. She got more everything. And we couldn't deny it. You know, it's like, yeah, you're right. She did. You want to know why? Because there's two of us and one of her. We outnumber her. We can manage that with her. You know, with y'all, we couldn't. And then, and then they regale us with all the ways that they got around our rules now, you know, as adults. Right, right, when you're reflecting back. Yeah. And so, Rich, tell me about your own mental health or, or taking time for yourself during these years, which can be quite challenging, where you've got lots of different things to contend with, as well as your work and your own, your own relationship. How did you go about keeping all of the, the tic-tac-toe in place? I'm going to be really blunt. We were awful at it. Yeah, like uh, my wife was much better at that than I was. Um, she loves to ride and she was very committed to that. And that kept her very active. And she also had regular therapy. You know, I was on and off with that stuff. Like I'd be go through times where I'd get help on the outside and I go through times where I was very uh, committed to physical fitness and then I'd fall off the wagon. Um, so, but uh, I will say that I got better and better as time went on because I couldn't live like that. I, you know, when your own, what happens when you're not taking care of yourself? I work with so many parents now. It's so funny to hear, so funny for me to hear me saying to you, oh, I was really awful at that. Um, what I found out really fast is when my battery wasn't charged 100%, I couldn't really show up well for the kids. And, uh, you know, I would go off a lot more easily. And, um, you know, fortunately I was sane enough to clean up those messes afterwards and say, Hey, you know what? That really wasn't what am I yelling at you? That really wasn't okay. Um, I'm not really upset with you and, you know, and clean it up, but still they had to put up with that nonsense until I figured out that I needed to exercise, that I needed to talk to other people, that I needed time on my knees, you know, with my higher power on a regular basis, that I needed to read, um, spiritual, uh, documents that would help me stay values centered. 
you know, until I, until I figured all that stuff out, they dealt with a lot of up and down. And my, Catherine, God bless her, really carried us for through, through my ups and downs. And Rich, tell me about, tell me about your relationship with Catherine as well during that period and how you were able to make time for each other, because that's something else you've got to be mindful of as well. I I think that we did what everybody does. Um, And it's kind of sad, but it's kind of true. And it's, maybe it's just important. Maybe it's not even sad. Maybe this is just how relationships go. But, you know, we met, um, while we were both getting divorced and there was chemistry, but I was like, no, we're not doing this. I'm not going to be that guy that you leave your husband for. Like my, my dad was that guy. I'm not going to be that guy, you know? Um, and then when she got that all straight, we started dating and formally, meaning we got, we got, we allowed ourselves to be physical. That's probably the best way to put it because there was a lot of, we were talking and there was hanging out, you know, but there was no physicality happening. And um, it got, we got very close very quickly did that you know that the in love thing after you've been in a really crappy abusive relationship is up like 16 points you're like oh my god finally someone who's you know who's not a rageaholic or not depressed or who hears me and is really there for me right so we had that in, this intense in love period we got, got together blended the families and then a year or two years into it had another child and all of a sudden you know, we were right where everybody is like, oh, my God, we're totally overwhelmed. How do we do this? Our intimacy's blown. You know, sex, forget about it. You know, <laughs> that wasn't my attitude, you know, but that was kind of, she was like, hey, you know, I've just remembered what sex leads to. We're not going to do much of that for a while, you know, like the whole thing was off kilter. And we kind of went into what I call parallel life syndrome. It was a long, this was, that was a very long winded way of saying we ended into this place where we got focused on our individual lives for a while there. And we kind of drifted apart, you know, with the kids being our central focus and a lot of petty resentment, um, probably on both sides, but I'm just going to own mine. You know, a lot of like uh, just a lot of uh, snarky sarcasm and like all the stuff we never wanted to have in a marriage was there was again, you know, uh, and we ha- the truth is that as much as we'd both like to blame those other people for those marriages being crappy, you know, everything that we brought to those marriages that was crappy, we brought to this one and we had to heal all that together. We didn't have to, we could have just blown the whole thing up like 70% of people who get married for the second time. I want to tell you that we were perfect partners and we were in each other's court. Well, we were really good parents. We weren't great partners for a while there. I think a lot of people listening would identify with what you're talking about, Rich. I think in your situation, you've you've both had children from previous marriages. I know personally what it's like when you bring new blended children into the mix in that family unit and it changes the dynamics all over again and there, there's a lot to, to juggle all the time. So, uh, you know, I think everything you've described is pretty normal. And with reflection, it's always interesting to look back over the years and and reflect on the journey and how things have changed. I want to speak to this, if that's okay, because like this is what I do is I help people repair that thing that we're talking about, the parallel lives, or maybe they're even hostile. You know, maybe they're maybe it's beyond little snarky. We were snarky and sarcastic and clever like which is the worst it's you're kind of emotionally gutting each other in little ways but it's okay you know like really it's a lot worse than open warfare because at least with open warfare you know what's going on but um that's no way to live and 
I, what I want to report here is that it's pretty unusual that both people get it that something's wrong. So, usually what happens is one person wakes up and says, wow, this is not good what we're doing. And this is not the, this person who I'm being nasty and mean to, this is not the person I fell in love with. I don't know who this is, but this is, you know, and that person has, the person, whoever wakes up and smells the coffee first has the responsibility to do something about it besides be snarky, blaming, nasty and controlling and punitive and all that other stuff that comes with it. You know, and it, it, as I'd love to say, if, that both people can jump in together, but it doesn't happen that way. What happens is the one who's in the most pain, in this instance, it was me, you know, uh, says, wow, something's got to change. And it starts, uh, the bad news is it's you, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I had to change, right? Uh, and, and when I started to change, she said, oh, this is different. And it took a while to reestablish trust. And then when, after a while, she got on the bandwagon too. But at first, I started to change and she was like, what the hell's going on here? I kind of liked it the way it was. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean you want to you wanna hold my hand? I'm seriously, what do you mean you want to hug me? What do you mean you want to kiss me hello and goodbye? What do you mean? You, you know, like just, I'm talking about little teeny baby steps, but it's up to one person to start that stuff. And the other one's going to be like, on the surface, it's what do you mean? Underneath it is, do I dare trust you again? It's like what's happening underneath is, do I dare trust you again? Do I dare let my guard down again? And that the person who initiates it needs to like just work through and rebuild trust. And then eventually the other person comes on board and the whole game changes. Do you look at yourself? Like, what are yeah, you yeah. doing that's made it that way? And how can you change to bring it back? And you can bring it back. It's you know, We never go back to mad head over heels in love because that's a infatuation is a temporary state but you can rebuild trust and rebuild intimacy and rebuild shared vision and you know Catherine and i have like a pretty amazing relationship today mm. so rich you're now working in the field of helping other couples repair their relationships and uh tell us a little bit about how that that came to be that came to be because one day I woke up and smelled the coffee <laughs> and said, something's really wrong here. That, sold my business in three months and got into got a, into coaching, even though I had master's in social work, got into coaching. And I launched a coaching business um, that January of 2018 focused on pe helping people who are getting divorced. Um, and you know, I'm working on my marriage, focus on people getting divorced. And no, we didn't go into business together. And that didn't happen. And then I started getting into couples work. Um, and as I got into couples work, I started really working on our marriage. And then now I'm on, on the other end of the couples work. I've realized that, that people are starting to come to me when they're at this phase of, oh my God, something's wrong with my marriage. And I'm not sure that he or she wants to work on it with me. So now they come to me for like, what do I do? You know, and that's why I say it, it's really it's on one person and it takes time to enroll the other person usually mm. you know, to to come in. And I've got uh, I've got mad programs. We have what we have that's unique here is we have this mental and emotional release process uh, where it's called timeline therapy, 
which helps people to let go of their triggers and their baggage really fast. I used to work with people, 12 week program would take them 12 weeks to learn to work around their triggers. Oh my God, I'm triggered. Laura, I'm going to take a time out. We can talk when I'm feeling better. I'll come back to you in an hour. And now we, we can help them just let go of the, like rewire the trigger altogether in, in a very long eight to 10 hour session. Um, it's phenomenal. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, Rich. Well, it's been such a such a pleasure chatting with you. I feel like we've covered a lot today, teenagers and and then a nice transition into a a whole raft of relationship uh, relationship topics. So thank you so much for sharing your your words of wisdom and your uh, your your background with us today. Um, Rich, lastly, where can people go to find you and connect with you? I don't want to go. <laughs> I like talking to you. <laughs> You're oh, like my Rich. new bestie. Where can people go? <laughs> they, they can go to rich, richinrelationship.com, R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, uh, you know, at hashtag rich in relationship or on LinkedIn or Instagram. All It's all hashtag rich in relationship. Any TikTok, uh, Pinterest, you know, we're on everything. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to the In The Blend podcast. The show notes for this episode are available at intheblend.com.au. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and please rate and review in your podcasting app. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn.